Good afternoon. How you doing, folks? Howdy. It's 2.07 here in the sweltering East Bay. That's the San Francisco Bay Area. This is Yobi. Adrian Pascal, Yobi the Bear Blumberg with Yobi Works Studios, LLC. Chester West Texan transplanted into the East Bay, apparently accelerating my acceptance of the way things are uh, in the world. And I, my, my goal and practice every day is to accept myself more. Because no one can die my death for me. I'm the one who must be okay with it. That means no one who said anything to me my entire life will be there when I die. I'm the one who has to be okay with it. I'm the one who has to be okay with it. And what does that mean? Well, if there's anybody out there who wants to chat, uh, it's Socratic method. We do respect based question and answer. We don't talk over each other. We listen. Usual response time is about three minutes. Uh, anybody who's welcome to join, I encourage you to join. If you've never joined a chat before, or if you've never done a podcast, you couldn't do it with anyone better than the Yotes. Um, if anyone is trying to give you the keys to success, and they're charging for it or being transactional about it. They don't have them. Trust me. Because you can know that. Because all boats rise together. We're all connected. What happens to one of us affects all of us. How can I say that? You know what a terrarium is? It's a closed system. In its most modern and common expression, it's a flora biome that is completely enclosed. Uh, look it up on Google or do a search on Bing or Yahoo or whatever you use or go to the library and you can search it out. I do not believe there has been a terrarium that has gone 40 years without collapse. It is a challenging thing, even with the most simple bacteria and plants and uh, to get the mix right to where there is a natural organic balance of things within the closed system that can self-sustain without any intervention. So what is love? For myself, I can tell you, I came to love by meeting love right off the bat when I was five. Dedicating myself to the will of love, and then immediately, immediately, and this was at six, everything went wrong, <laughs> it seemed like. It was exactly as it needed to be. It was the only way I was going to accept logically uh, love back into my life. It had never left. Let's be clear about that. 
but that I would accept that part of myself again. Took 41 years to come full circle. And I never in my life would have imagined that I would come back to the love I first knew, being cornered into it using logic. That was a surprise. And it was a good one. Now, I, I, I can't tell you how surprised I was when contemplating unconditional love. It seems on its surface to be a concept that is incongruent with what we see in the news all day long, what they call news. <laughs> um, what we see in history, what we witness all around us every day of our lives is we witness evidence of pain and suffering. People don't seem aware of their surroundings. Often I've not felt like I was aware enough of my surroundings or blamed myself for not being more keenly aware of a situation I was going into. I often, for a long time, analyzed every, I mean, this is the way my brain works, I analyzed every single potential possible pathway or decision that could have been made about a event that went in a way I did not like or didn't feel right or didn't please the most people. Over and over and over, essentially carrying an illusion of my experience in my head and holding it up to every experience that I was experiencing to see if I could, by trial and error, get to where I needed to be. By the time I got to college after the Marine Corps, I took history, not that I wanted to specifically be a historian, but uh, that's what the VA would uh, uh, help cover. Uh, took history, anthropology, and sociology. Skeenly into ancient history, uh, religious history, Celtic, South American, Native American, uh, Sumerian, anything ancient, but way into the Celtic history. Uh, and sociology, everything having to do with family and drugs, alcohol, and society. I went to Texas Tech, and I graduated in 98, 148 hours and three and a half years. I was knocking myself out, trying to, to get the hours crammed in. But in that, I determined that there's got to be a commonality that exists between the major beneficial spiritual practices. And... And in my estimation, it seemed logical that if they are a benefit to society, then there's got to be a common thread that runs through them. So I started with faith and examining the actual dictionary term of faith and what that meant. in the historical sense and everything. Uh, and I went, I wanted to understand what truth meant 
right? So how could I understand faith if I didn't understand what truth was? What is truth? And I was horrified to find that truth, <laughs> essentially, to paraphrase all the different dictionaries from the Oxford to Merriam-Webster, is that truth is that which is true, which I didn't find very satisfying at all. <laughs> um, I said, surely the dictionary is it like this, right? Because you, we imagine smarter, more capable, more educated folks uh, ahead of us has figured this out and argued about it and finally decided what they were going to put in the dictionary. So you don't expect it to go, truth, <laughs> is that which is truthful? Or, you know, it, it was one of those things, those definitions that throws it right back into your lap. And then I went, then I analyzed hope. And then love. The last thing I analyzed, and it took me all the way until 2020, because who wants to really grow up? We don't want to grow up. We want our American dream. We want to feel fulfilled and see what's on TV. <laughs> That's what I did. In 2020, I had to have truth. I had to have something I'd tried. I was raised in Assemblies of God. I'd tried the church. I'd tried uh, Methodists. I'd tried Unitarianism. I tried Universalists. Uh, I tried uh, spirituality, New Age. I looked into all of it. I joined the Marine Corps. I was part of the Demolays. Uh, I almost went into the Masons. and Didn't get past the entered apprentice. That's it's, it's changed from when what we thought it was when we were growing up. Uh, all these different groups that I tried to work into. I've been a deacon. I've been to Promise Keepers four years in a row. I organized it for the vineyard down in Boston. Uh, I was raised in the church. We were there five days a week, right? As I said at the beginning, I dedicated myself to the will of love when I was six baptized, which is its own story. Uh, and immediately everything changed. Because what I didn't understand then, that if I had, I likely would not have done this, is that to know love, you must suffer greatly. Now I say must. Is there a choice in that? I certainly wanted to know love. It seemed like the hack. I remember thinking when I got baptized, I, I found the secret answer up front. Yay, me. I choose love. What could go wrong with that? Yay, I win. And then I had to go find the answers to the questions of the answer I had. Leave it to me to start at the finish line and as I'm passing people, trying to find the starting point, they're going, are you coming from the finish line? Yeah. Wait, you want to know where the starting line is? Absolutely. Why? To help everybody. Hmm. <laughs> 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 
my my father when i graduated college asked me to come up with him his wife had just passed she was the first mortician in arkansas female mortician for the state in arkansas she was the sweetest lady her name was mary and it was a long arduous death she had type 1 diabetes wasn't managed well had a slow death dialysis again anybody call in i'd love to hear your story he had to feed her ice chips and uh, i went to visit him after she passed but before i graduated and he got me a car uh, 63 ford galaxy 500 38,000 original miles 750 dollars well when we went and bought the car we only had 650 dollars how do i know because he counted it into my hand i counted it into his hand he counted it back into my hand i counted it back into his hand we flipped it over shuffled it around counted it one more time we were a hundred dollars short well let's see if he'll go for it so we said we were a hundred dollars short uh but here it, this is what we got and we counted it in his hand and it was 750 and he my dad looked at me and i looked at him and said uh-uh so i grabbed it i said pardon me sorry and i counted it into the gentleman's hand it was 750 dollars interesting so i got the car rode like a dream about eight hours driving back from arkansas to, to lubbock texas and after eight hours it did not go dreamy any longer the last two hours of my drive i was on e i literally made it to the last overpass and and coasted into lubbock on on my refusal to believe in any other possibility than the gratitude i had that i had just enough fumes to get me through each mile And that was incredible. What I didn't know was that after Mary had died, he began to chat with God and, and, and God and he chatted like you're hearing me now. So he wanted me to come up to Arkansas when I graduated college and I wanted to get my teacher certification. Uh, and he said, I already have a job for you, son. They're, I've told them all about you and they're ready for you. Starting out at forty-five thousand a year, it was going to be helping to run a kids, a disadvantaged kids counseling center. Okay, well, I'm on my way up. Two weeks later, and you know, I'd been introduced to everybody. Somebody, a girl, had been, gotten really interested in me. Uh, it, but it was taking a long time, and things were seeming odd because I pay attention to my surroundings. And, and I said, Dad, wait, is this job, where is this job? Are, are they going to interview me? Am I going to go meet them? What's the deal? And I got him to admit that he was believing in faith, what he had been told would he would do with the winning lottery number winnings that he was going to get as soon as God gave him the winning lottery numbers. That's generally not 
the the awesome plan you want to hear from your parent <laughs> when when you're when you're ready for your next stage in life. But he said, I said, Dad, that's not good. I got to get back and get teacher certification. He said, Hold on, son. Come come meet with us tonight, and uh, then then you can decide. Okay. So I go meet his uh, fiance and this group of people. And they all basically tried to sell me on these notebooks full of prophecies that my dad had written down. This is the Ozarks of Arkansas. Um, and I got to a point to where I said, look, you're never going to convince me of anything from those notebooks. If you want to use any translation of the Bible that you have, I'm willing to discuss that with you. Uh, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to, debate what's in those notebooks because it's not in the word. Like we need to have a common ground to, to communicate from. And they, they said, but you're the linchpin without you, all this prophecy doesn't fit together. And I said, okay, now the only way I'm going to believe it is if on the way home to Lubbock on the bus ticket, you're getting me dad. Even if you have to sell one of your black powder guns, is if I'm struck blind, like Saul had been on his way to Damascus, and received my sight three days later. And I said it kind of sarcastic, tongue-in-cheek. And to my surprise, they all stood up, surrounded me, laid on hands, and prayed for me to be blinded. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember as the bus was pulling away from the bus station, my dad was standing and looking at me and I, I didn't know what to say i just was doing what i had to do and i never thought i would have a, a time in my life when i when i fervently wanted to be struck blind so that my that would mean my dad was not crazy As you can imagine, I wasn't struck blind. But the bedrock of my life, in my mind, had been irrevocably shattered. And I was lost in the sea of, I don't know. So I took everything that I had tried before in life that had not worked up till then, and I tossed it out of the window and I said, okay, I'm going to start fresh. I'm just going to organically observe and see what happens, see what's going on here, trying to, 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 to research and be. That led, well, this is what I'll tell you for the next several decades. My family can attest to and will swear under oath that I was one of those poor unfortunate souls that would get struck by lightning on a clear day. I, I would give somebody a gift and and not realize they were about to stab me. <laughs> you know that that I just was so unprepared. I'd been raised in uh, the Academy of Christian Educators School, Sherwood Lanes or Sherwood, sorry Sherwood Christian Academy, uh, and Glad Tidings Christian Academy, and Yukon Heights Christian Academy. Uh, and I had a, a overly optimistic view of the world. 
The problem with being overly optimistic is when you don't know what you don't know until you know it, and no one's telling you, the only thing you can do for any situation is compare it to what you've had in your experience or read that is somewhat analogous and hope that you are choosing correctly. But it's not a stand-in for actual understanding. So that means that if you are an exceptionally naive and nice and optimistic person, you might be setting yourself up to be victimized. You might waltz in the room and go, hey guys, how y'all doing? My name's Adrian. I'm a, if anybody needs any help, not realizing I just opened the door to the head of the mo underground mafia who, and they were just commenting, yeah, I wish some guy would come in here and just offer us all his stuff. Whereupon I would open the door and go, hi guys. Hey, I'm just right down the road. <laughs> That's how things went with me. So back to January, 2020, truth or death. And when I realized not only am I the only one who's going to die my death for me and I have, I'm the one who has to be okay with it, that there is no guarantee of any reward or punishment on the other side. And in reality, would a loving deity make it such a hard guessing game to learn from that the rabbi said, who gives their child or their son a scorpion when they ask for bread? <laughs> Why would you have to believe without any proof whatsoever in something, in a reward or a punishment to motivate you to do the right thing? What kind of love is that? So I said, okay, I'm the only one who has, can die my death for me. I have to be okay with it. And I'm, I'm imagining my death emotionally, not just knowing it, but imagining I'm in the moment. And logically, I had to say to myself, it doesn't matter what anybody says or, or believes. I'm the one who has to be okay with it. And there's no way I can logically justify anything beyond the process, because it's not personal, right? It's just a passageway of death because no one is coming back and talking. They're not on the nightly news. Uh, there's no update from the one who just passed said on the other side, A-okay. <laughs> the weather is fine in the pearly gates. And frankly, the idea of heaven frightened the hell out of me as much as hell. Who, somebody once asked me, said, what's the one thing you want to take into eternity with you? And I said, a way to end it. Because <laughs> by year 7,363,000, I'm probably going to want to get off the crazy train. <laughs> Why is that, you ask? Because at that point, what does my paltry little life mean in comparison to it? Because contrast 
was the first thing in almost all creation stories that was made. They separate the light from the dark. Why is that? Because without being able to discern differences between things, you cannot discern movement visually. You cannot imagine an understanding without having a comparison for it to be contrasted against. And after the light was separated from the darkness, and he moved over the face of the deep, the waters of the deep, which was interesting, the deep waters of the deep were there before creation. Hmm. That he then separated day and night. He created day and night after he separated light from dark. I think of these as metaphors. Why do I think of them as metaphors? Well, because when we're children, we think as children, we act as children, we live as children. We're seen and not heard as children, whatever is told when you're growing up. But when we're adults, we put away childish things. Okay. Okay. Let's put a thumb tack in that right now. Put it up on the old board of, we're coming back to that. So there I was considering unconditional love. All concepts are human concepts, but unconditional love, who thought of that? Seems like a recipe for disaster. <laughs> Let's see, I'm going to go out there and I'll help everybody with everything. I'll give everybody everything they ask for as long as I'm not going to immediately die. And that's what? <laughs> Hmm, unconditional love. And then I thought, wait, unconditional love is essentially the state of voluntary powerlessness. It's, even if you have access to power, you never take it up. And, and I thought to myself, that is absolutely true, logically. Now, either I accept that or, hmm, let's see, let's accept that. And I just thought on it, meditated on it, and then accepted it. No sooner had I accepted it than I felt the love I hadn't felt since I was six years old. And I literally rolled around in my door and said, have you been there this whole time? And of course, it love was just there being because it doesn't express power. Why is that? I mean, I'm describing to you how it's always been with me in my mind. Why wouldn't it express power? Because it would be a manipulation of my free will. Because who, in the light of an all-powerful being, wouldn't, you know, would not obey? And then, if they think they can get away with disobeying, disobey. Because it puts you eternally in the place of being a child. Well, when do you grow up? In all of the cultures I've studied in, in history, there's so many traditions and rituals, bar mitzvahs, to demonstrate that we've left childhood 
and become adults. That we've understood what it means in our place in the context of reality. Those have been what we don't have any rigid. I know it's not uh, turning 16 and getting a driver's license. That's not an appropriate ritual. Physical age is a poor determinant for maturity. In fact, it should be dropped from access to be considered for our maturity. Why is that? Well, one, I'll just ask you to look around and go, where are all the dogs? How does that demonstrate? I know adults, I imagine, wouldn't be violent. They wouldn't uh, invade another country. They wouldn't uh, ask someone to go die for them for their fight. That's what I imagined. Well, let's examine it. What is love? How does it express? How to know? First John 4 and 8. Now, in the tradition I was raised in, Assemblies of God, this you can know without a doubt. That God was first. I'm telling you, and slapping, jumping up and down on the pulpit, crying. One of my pastor's favorite things was, the problem with a living sacrifice is it's always crawling off the altar. And why wouldn't it? Holy rollers, pew jumping, Jericho marches, tracks, royal rangers, petitioning to keep Ozzy out of town and it working, that thing. Not wearing triangles on black shirts because that could be satanic. It was West Texas, I'll let you guess where, for now. I was a Sunday school teacher's worst nightmare. So, the Hebrews, the Jews were instructed to kill a lamb, and put the blood over their doorway so that the angel of death would not claim their firstborn child as it went and claimed the firstborn children of every family in the entire kingdom of Egypt because of the stubbornness of the Pharaoh. Um, teacher? Yes, Becky. That's what they call me. Why, why would it, why would, why did all the kids have to die? Because the Pharaoh wasn't, uh, yeah, I was that one. I'd ask all the questions that none of the other kids asked. Eventually, I'd be told, we're not meant to know. God has God's reasons. I couldn't understand why we weren't allowed to ask. Why couldn't we know? What's wrong with me? Why can't I just accept? What I came to understand in January of 2020, when I wrote my first article, and publishing on Quora in response to a question of what's a memory that has stayed with you. You see, this is how I processed. When you tell, trying to tell a kid 
about something, what strength is, what aerodynamics is, whatever. If it involved people, I would picture them in my head on a church stage and I would anthropomorphize. Like if they were trying to teach me what strength and courage was, I, you know, it maybe I had the build of my pastor, the face of my dad, the long flowing hair of Samson. The one thing I could not anthropomorphize was love. And after a while, I just figured I had some weird hang up because as I'm trying to imagine it and, and like they're explaining something to me and they're saying that love, this love thing is a part of it. And, and in my mind, I'm in front of the stage, the little miniature five-year-old director of what they're trying to explain to me. They go, look, you're up. Love, go up, up. Because it, it was just a, a ball of glowing fuzz. I couldn't answer. Because what's love? I couldn't put a face to it. Love, love, you're cute. Love, love would just sit there. Loving. And not go up on stage. And then unaccountably from time to time, it would just jump up on stage and then do the part of, you know, the stage performance. And I, I even played and joked around in my mind. Got a prima donna here. Now you want to come and act. But the kids started distancing themselves from me. They started being weird. I've always paid a lot of attention. I couldn't understand why. Couldn't figure it out. I'd asked, I'd researched, couldn't figure it out. And then one day at church, I hear the adults talking about God, what God is, and just being open and blunt with each other and talked, you know, and I, I got, come down. wait a minute. If God is love, wait, I have love in my concept. I haven't been getting it. Hold on. If I, I bet you all the kids figured this out on their own, and they probably have gone and told their parents, and their parents, told the pastor or whatever that they knew God. And they were like, congratulations, but don't let anybody else know. We got to make sure that they come to it on their own so they understand it or something, right? So I run up after the adults and I go, I know God, I know God, I know God. I probably the last one. All the kids will be like, gosh, is he ever going to figure it out? Yeah, 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 right, Vicky, you know God. Ha, ha, ha. I was incredibly insistent because I wouldn't have run out there and said it if I wasn't certain in my understanding that it was true compared to what they, everyone was saying. I was so insistent they got the other pastor. I guess, you know, to line me out and set me straight. Now, Pacti, this is a serious, serious question. You do understand that. Yes, sir. You know, I'm like, I was all super confident. Uh, got me all lined up. He said, well, I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm going to give you some scenarios. You tell me if God was in this and what God did. So I was really meticulous about understanding the stage setting, right? You know, don't want to run the play wrong for the audience. Uh, and then I would answer uh, after about 45 minutes. And I was like, this is taking a lot. Maybe why is he asking so many questions? Is, is that is it that hard to discern? <laughs> and he goes, well, Packy, you're doing, you're doing great. I, I'm going to go out, outside the office. Can you stay here for a minute? And I'll come back. I, you know, that's, I know he left and he came back. I'm putting the words in because I want to illustrate it for you. And he came back in with the other pastor and uh, he introduced himself and they quizzed me for another 45 minutes to an hour. 
at this point, I'm like, oh no, they're trying to determine whether they need to put me in like remedial God training or something. I'm really freaking out. Uh, and they said, Patty, you've done great. You've done great. I said, really? Yes, you've done great. It's good that you've done this. And they went outside the office and they said, well, Becky knows God. We need to baptize him right now. I had no idea what it meant. I was just like, whoo, I made it. My kids will probably be like, finally, we're so glad you made it. And then I, suddenly I'm in the, ba the baptism. And I'm like, this is great. I get this women in the middle of the church. Yay. And, and as I'm being baptized, I, in my mind's eye, I just, I said, well, so that's who you were. You, you tricksy thing, love. Of course, it just glowed. And uh, I said, well, love's got to be the answer, right? Everybody seems pretty crazy about it. So I want to dedicate myself to the will. I want to do something as good as and awesome as, as your son. I want to do something that I'm willing. I'm, I'm available. I'm, I'm here for you. It's, it's, I mean it, you know. And I did it a couple of times just to make sure that, you know, love understood because love was just glowing. Right after we left, my mom said, I'm so glad you did it. This is really young to get baptized, but, uh, you know, but now you're going to be held accountable for your actions. And because before you claimed maturity, uh, I mean, you could be forgiven, excuse, because you were a child in your understanding. But you, if you lie, you're going to go to hell and you need to admit now that you don't know God. You just were excited and wanted to, to, to be, you know, jump in. You didn't know God. And I said, that was a quandary. Okay. But I, I couldn't give ground. I made a, a vow in my heart to love. Or who turned out to be God. I couldn't recant that. That's not good. I, I'm trying to explain that to mom and mom's trying to tell me that to stop lying and i'm between a, a mom and a god place a love place and it devolved into my mom saying teary-eyed screaming at me you're so stubborn and willful it would have been better if i'd killed you in my womb and my my dad goes whoa whoa whoa, whoa joe hold on now that's going a bit too far uh, and i basically my ears were ringing when i heard dad and and, and I was like, <gasps> I don't remember what happened between then and me being in bed that night, but my parents were fighting. And, and typically in the past, I'd jumped up out of the bed and I'd go in and they'd go, oh, Packy, sorry, did we wake you? We didn't mean to be loud. We'll, we'll, we're sorry. They'd hug me and I'd go back to bed. This time I went in there and my mom was up against the wall. My dad had her up against the wall. He had a gun pistol cocked against her head. And my mom, she didn't look scared. She didn't look anything but defiant with mascara going all the way down her face. And she was screaming in my dad's face, you don't have the balls, MD. And my dad said, I'll do it, Joe. I'll do it. My dad had taken me shooting with him in West Texas in Fleetie Pits. I knew what it sounded like. I didn't feel like hearing it just then. So I was like, I'm going to go hide out somewhere. 
went to the closet, went under the closet. At some point, I, I can tell you, I had to have said this, obviously, but I remember it was like a deep bell. Stay here. Someone will get you when it's safe. I didn't know if somebody said it outside. Just anyway. Uh, I kind of felt like it came from the <laughs> at the time. I don't remember getting me. I do remember the next day. I went outside and for the first time addressed what I thought was love as God out loud. So I go, hey, God, uh, I hear you like kids, <laughs> you know, and uh, I appreciate everything. And, you know, it's, I'm glad that you love blah, 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 you know, and, 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 and trying to, I mean this in the most humble way. I'm not trying to demand or anything, but, you know, some of the children come into me, and uh, I, I really, 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 really need some kind of something I can just like hang on to. Um, you know, maybe a hey, Pecky, I'm here audibly, just maybe a little audible voice, just so between me and you, so I can know it's you and like stick. Oh my God! Silence. Anytime. Silence. Okay. Well, I mean, it doesn't have to be exactly right now, but you know, silence. Never did get an answer, but after I thought about unconditional love. And, and thought about unconditional love and accepting unconditional love. And I did the acceptance and rolled around it. You've been there that whole time and faced silence. I went, but what about that time that I needed just something? And I didn't hear a voice. And immediately I thought, I did hear a voice. Who am I talking? What am I kidding? Like, hey, I heard a voice. Yeah, it was, it was, my, it was my voice. What? Blasphemy! No, hold on. Bear with me. Love, which unconditionally, internally, is powerless. Voluntarily. Because it accepts. Does not manipulate free will. Accepts you as you are. In his sense, a part of all things, conceptually, should be with you from birth and to death. Because all things are made up of what? Of love. <laughs> well, it's made up of... Okay. I know you wanted to fill that in. Bear with me. If love is an internal thing, and the body is the temple of the Lord, as the rabbi says, and the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. And love is internal. Then it's appropriate to say love yourself with all of your being. Love your heart, love your mind, love your soul. And that will be formed on how 
you should approach loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Since your body is the temple of the Lord. And that made sense to me. That the knocking, everyone's always talking about hearing on the door of your heart. That doesn't mean it's external. It doesn't mean that it's love. That the one thing I had been raised to reject, the flesh, had suddenly gone from that ugly thing I wanted to shed, essentially, the doctrine being run to death so you can get to heaven and be done, <laughs> was that I can't know that to any degree of certainty. So using that information to inform my choices in life is an illusion. It's not loving. Love is easy. The yoke is light. Love is not guilt. It is not judgment. Love is acceptance. When you put away childish things, you accept the boundaries of your existence, your own mortality. That no thing will be there with you to pass through it. But to then accept that and choose to be ready for it at any time. Because that's what the smart thing to do is, right? I don't want to be calling my, I don't want to go, oh, wait, 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 this is death. Hold on, wait, I got to consider some things. Oh, no. <laughs> I might be upside down in a car that's on fire. I don't know. We don't know. So I needed something basic and simple to believe in. And that was, I have to die my death. I have to be okay with it. I'm going to do my best because I choose to do my best. And then it became apparent that love and fear are two sides of the same magnet. And that I can understand which is which in any situation by asking myself, is this the pushy, repulsive, insistent side of the magnet that is fear-based decisions and life strategy? Or is it the drawing, non-persetalizing, non-power exerting acceptance of love? Huh. So I began this several month project in Quora, Socratic method. I wasn't going to proselytize, but I wasn't going to pass a question that had to do with love or logic or truth and not address it Socratic method and logic based. So that's what I did, refined it. And it is pretty simple. The truth of life is all around us. It's on our face. It's 
why no one sees it? Why do they publish city ordinances that they really don't want everybody to know, but they publish it anyway in the back of the newspaper? Why is Lady Justice blindfolded? To be objective. You mean to objectively be able to see who's padding the scales with money? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is loving? What is not love? Love is not guilt because it doesn't coerce. Love doesn't use fear to, to draw a choice based on a reality that we can never know in life because it's not loving. And how can we know that? Where's the pattern match in nature? I'll tell you where. First, it's internal. Because of course, if there was any deity worth even visiting or hypothesizing, right? And it's powerless, it's something that tipped the first domino, so to speak. Think of the Choose Your Own Adventure books, Lone Wolf back in the 80s, 90s. Choose Your Own Adventure. Now, an author of a Choose Your Own Adventure book knows all the characters, knows all the options, all the choices, publishes the book, so to speak, it's a metaphor for creation, but can't unpublish it, can't get in the book. No matter what choice is chosen by whichever character, the author knows that choice already, but can't be in the book. And knows all the choices. So the characters in the book, they are in the moment and they are make, making a choice. All of the choices are known. All of the choices were determined. And we have the free will to choose our predetermined choice. <laughs> it can be both. It is a two-way street. And it fits. Why? When Abraham was taking Isaac up to the to be sacrificed, did did uh, love allow a goat to be found and be substituted for Isaac, symbolically ending the practice of human sacrifice in those days and age historically? Why then? would the rabbi be required to crawl up onto the cross and, and take all our sins onto himself and us to be forgiven? That removes our agency. It makes us automatons. It blinds us to, to being responsible and in the moment for our own actions. Why was the rabbi upset with the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Vipers, pits of vipers, he called them. That they would follow the law and yet let a child starving and a mother in need go without because it would violate Sabbath. The story of the Good Samaritan. Time after time, the rabbi was saying, 
It's not about the scripture, the law. You can follow the law and have no love in your heart. You can gain the whole world, but hath not love. Then what's the point? And that's, as I knew, because I analyzed systems. First John 4, 8, back again. If it is not loving, it is not of God, for God is love. That is unequivocal. That means literally. You take that, and if you, the scripture is to be consistent and taken literally, then every other part of scripture should be able to be compared to it and stay in agreement. Nothing is unknown. Nothing is ineffable. It's either a one or a zero. Either it is or it isn't. And if it isn't, that means it's what? A human concept. They're all human concepts, right? They weren't just floating in the air waiting for us to discover it. But we can know it's a human concept purely because it doesn't have love, so it doesn't have God in it. That means the Bible in historical context is back where it should have always been. Books written by people trying to interpret the things they were experiencing in life and then having to reinterpret it 700 years later for a monarch who insists on doing it or as you've seen before to the previous scribes that you just that went before you, you could be jailed, you'd be killed. So you better write it as the monarch wants without jeopardizing or angering a god. It's a fine line. History is written by the winners. To assume that the powerful won't use it as a tool of manipulation is, is to delude myself. So love is powerless. If, if somebody, somebody goes, I know love, let me prove it. Madam, do not cross across that street. Do not touch your foot on that watery water. I shall pot that puddle with the power of God. He, man, he has the power. Well, you can know it's not God. You know it's not love. Because anybody seeing that would be like, man, that's, I, I know what I saw. I think I'll go with the one that scared the shit out of me. <laughs> I saw Power Expressed. I don't know how it was. He says it's God. And he's the one who made it happen. Or at least afterwards, uh, we'll go with that. That's that salvation at the end of a whip. Salvation. The other thing is, is I know that there was a guy named Pelagius who argued with Augustine of Hippo about the time that the Council of Nicaea decided arbitrarily what to throw into the books of the Bible at the behest of Constantine, who pledged his entire empire to Christianity if only he, God, would give him victory over his enemy. And that was a thing in the sky, you know, crossing. Of course, you know, God picks sides. You know, like you do between your kids, right? Of course you pick a favorite. And the other one, 
the other one might just not make it. <laughs> There's all kinds of craziness in the Bible. What about Esau and the birthright and fooling the blind man and all this craziness that didn't make logical sense? It was not loving. Why does God need to change? Oh, I'm about to get challenging here. So where was uh, Mary's consent? How come that wasn't included in the Bible? You know, the one who had to be the virgin birth. Everyone just assumed, is like, yes, hold my tea. I feel like having a baby. Isn't that kind of rapey? No. Why? It's the Almighty. Oh, so because, wait, what? <laughs> if it's arbitrary like that, that to become right and holy just requires the thing we're calling to the, that doesn't, it's not consistent. That has no integrity. What is integrity? It is consistency. What is love? Love is accepting yourself as, here's a challenge. Is there anything perfect? Are there any perfect things? No, it's all I ever hear. No, really, are you unique? What do you mean? Is there another copy, exact copy of you walking around? Well, there are others. No, no, I mean, in reality, are you the only one who can see through your eyes or not? And even if there was an exact duplicate of you, you can't both inhabit the same space at the same time. What does that mean? That means that nobody and no thing does you better than you. In fact, you do your dorky self perfectly. And it only makes sense. Why would any creator create broken things? And if it's made from it, the creator, if the book is published using the uh, reality ink of the being and nature of the being, and it's all one, as Einstein said, just energy changing states, that makes sense. If you were in the creator's shoes, wouldn't you do the same? You wouldn't make the life so hard and difficult that it's just this, like, but we devalue ourselves. We believe that we must suffer or we, we continue to manufacture our suffer because we felt we haven't suffered enough to deserve being alive. I hate to tell you this. No, I don't. I love telling you this. <laughs> Who am I fooling? I can't fool you. But you're alive. You're already here. It's irrelevant. It's like retroactively uh, saying you suck. You're, no, no, you suck. I'm rubber and you're glue. What bats off me sticks to you. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Uh, I'm not sure this is how the Lincoln Douglas debate is supposed to go. Um, I don't know who to give a point to, you know? <laughs> it's a long established practice for logical validity. It's process refinement. It's not personal. It's nobody's fault. Nobody is at fault. 
everyone is exactly where they need to be. Why? Because where else could you be? There is no past except in your head. The future, now this was a tough one. The rabbi would say, you know, don't, don't you and a guy go make plans here for now and blah, blah, blah. It's like, we want them, why would we? But they, so you're arguing against pre-planning? That doesn't make sense. So first, our Babel is like, hey, you see how well they're cooperating? Let's go mess that up, huh? <laughs> so what, we can't cooperate? Uh, we can't. We can't go, hey, you can't just go in there and sleep with betrothed women just because you're going to, like, save all men by, like, becoming a man who knows you're a God and then sacrifice yourself to yourself. That's not kinky at all. And I'm not saying that it's kinky or a question. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, love doesn't work that way. That the night prior to the rabbi being picked up, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. You know what that reminded me of? Hey, God, uh, could you think uh, you could just like do a kid a little favor and like uh, just let me hear your voice? Uh, hey, I'm right here, Becky. No answer. No answer. And that's when it occurred to me. I bet you this this rabbi even though we can't affix him in the historical record to any determined guidelines, officially, he, we haven't got the evidence, we haven't found it's not public, but we can surmise the existence of the rabbi as likely a likely possible scenario, simplest explanation, that he was probably a pretty complex kid, probably asked a lot of uncomfortable questions. Because everybody loved me when I was a kid. This boy knows a lot about the Bible. Of course, I had to memorize chapters. I went to a Christian school. <laughs> I had to quote them back to the teachers, entire chapters. We all did. But you know, when you're an adult and you do that, you don't get quite the same reaction. I know this last Easter, I called up two churches. I just wanted to, see, you know, because it was Easter, and meet with one of the pastors or ministers just for like five minutes, maybe an hour before the service. No, no. Why do you want to meet? Because I just wanted to chat about love. One called me demon-possessed and hung up on me. The other one really didn't have time, but if I wanted to schedule an appointment to meet at some time during the week, and where I was raised, of course you'd always want to like, find. I could have just shown up. I guess they wouldn't have talked to me. They'd have been like, now I can't talk to meet with you right now. I'm sorry. I know I'm supposed to be here and available for everybody, but as you can see, it's a huge church. I couldn't possibly meet with everybody at the same time, but uh, we're glad you're here. Be sure to pay your tithes. You know, that's the only thing that does reward you. Test him. He says, test him on the tithes. Pay 10% of your, you know, you test him. But no, they wouldn't meet with me on Easter. My middle name is Pascal, Adrian Pascal. Pascal is the Germanized form of Pesach. Pesach is the Paschal lamb. 
the innocent lamb that is sacrificed. Often the rabbis refer to as the Paschal Lamb. Now that name has been in my family for hundreds of years. I'm trying to determine the origin. I'm using Ancestry.com. I haven't gotten into it here yet. I've only gone down, earliest I've gone is 1565, and I've only got four people with the name Paschal in generations. One died at 17. I've always been told it's been passed from generation to generation. Somebody's always stuck with it. My son's got, he's eight in Paschal Lumberg. I was curious, why is there a Paschal? So, but point is, Easter has always been kind of like my holiday. Uh, and and also, I would always tell everybody when they go, Paschal, that's your name, right? And I'd go, yep, 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 yep. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not crawling up on the altar because I don't want to grow up. <laughs> and all that. I was here. Uh, yeah, I didn't, who wants to be a sacrifice? But in my experience, you can't get anybody to do the right thing by crawling up on a cross and yelling at them and trying to guilt them into doing the right thing or fear them into the right thing. And anybody who's transactional in anything, if they're talking to you, but really, you know, wink, wink, they're meaning money in your pocket. That's what they're really sweet talking. That's transactional. You are just secondary to the, them getting the money from your bank. If they depend on you for their livelihood, can they really authentically tell you what you need to know when you need to know it, especially if it's going to piss you off? And end that tithes. That's why money is the root of all evil. Because it's reward without responsibility for how that value was generated into dollars. It's not how you spend the money. It's the fact that you, we all externalize value and validation. Think about everything you do in life. How many hair, skin, and body products do you need to correct the errors in nature? Why are we curating Mother Nature? If we're going to put bushes and trees and all kinds of neat little, you know, rosemary all over the roads and byways and highways, why is it full of food? Why is it not fruiting stone fruits and, and trees and vegetables and medicinal plants? Well, because there'd be fruit and food sticking and who would pick it all up all over the street? I said, who cares? There would be no hungry. That's how low the fruit of kindness and love is. Well, we don't want to enable people. What do you mean we don't want to enable people? We want, we don't want no freeloaders. We want them up and working. Who's the freeloader? Well, you know them people. What people? Well, I feel like Phil. You know Phil? Yeah, I know Phil. Well, and then you talk about Phil. That The minute you talk about somebody and the other person isn't present, guess what that is? That's rumoring. That's not love. No. That is seeking power and influence. Ghosting is an epidemic. 
in our societies worldwide today. What's ghosting? Ghosting is engaging, having a, an excellent interaction with somebody, having a cookout, having them come over. And they, I will call that such a great time. You never hear from them again. They avoid you every time they see you. And you had no idea why. You ever had that happen to you? Hey, is something up? Is everyone think I've like got, you know, scabies or something? Which is like every time I go, hey, neighbor. They, they, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say anything. It's not, you know, you're probably not avoiding me when I go, hey, neighbor. And you go, ah, and run back in the house. Uh, it's probably me just, you know, being paranoid. But, uh, hey, wait, wait, where are you running off to? Knocking on the door. Neighbor, hey, neighbor. Uh, you probably heard the phone call. You have, Hello? Why don't we rumor? Because it's loving to go to the people and address people. No secret meetings. Yeah, you might have an initial meeting one-on-one -on -one with somebody or you talk about somebody. You then go get that somebody and bring them in. You're just setting the stage. Oh, the so-and-so tells me this about you. We all... There's not a closed door meeting going on the earth that is not bad for somebody or a lot of somebody's. Privacy has always been unbloatable. Who lives in a small town? Who lives in an apartment? Y'all tell me that everybody isn't into everybody else's business. And even if they aren't, they're watching. Because <laughs> you'll look somebody and they're just doing their thing that's because before you looked they were staring right at you going hmm. <laughs> fact that is a sociological research fact another sociological research fact is above a certain income level access and power begin to act upon the brain like a powerfully addictive drug you can research it yourself do not take my word for it do not take anybody's word for it. You should vet information yourself. I vetted this information. I'm happy to give notes. I have notes in my writings right now. This is a cobblestone of many things, and many written conversations of Medium and Quora. You can Google me. That I have essentially had with myself and shared publicly. Privacy is a myth. Anything that uses fear to motivate is not love. It's not love. The most successful gamification strategy, and they run the hundreds of thousands of scenarios, the most successful in all of history is the indomitable scenario where two sides, two, two sides enter. One side goes, I'm going to get you, jumps. And the other side goes, no, you're not. He stands up, hit. It's epic. He meets with the same force. Imagine that battle, right? The, the UFC fight. Well, it looks like they are matched evenly. Three rounds later, they are still matched evenly. The next round, fifth round. Well, one side just capitulated. Sixth round. And the other side isn't doing nothing, nothing at all. 
oh, he's up again. He's going to attack. You just meet with equal force, but you don't press the advantage when they quit the attack. You know why? Because love is indomitable. To be a self-validating creature, a being, internally, we have to ask ourselves, am I? Am I what? Am I? Am I? Am I a thing? Am I a being? Am I? Am I valid? We ask that ourselves when we are children. Parents, hypothetically, who have understanding, ensure that they are prepared to stand on their own. The moment knows that they're going to die, that they're mortal. They immediately go buy a whole bunch of goth gear, smashing pumpkins, REM, and mope around for the next 10 years. <laughs> they're in an existential crisis of what does anything matter? But that's the knowledge only. They haven't accepted it. Everybody knows they're going to die. Everyone expects that they're going to be the one to figure out how to get out of life alive. <laughs> right? You know how many people after I found truth, I went straight to Christianity again. I am not a Christian. I am not a Christian. I am me. And I know love as a concept. I am certain there is a statistical probability that it's possible that a being with agency engaged with existence existing. That's as far as my the logic will take me. But this pattern match I'm describing to you, this pattern that's inherent, it asks us this, that if there is a zero, which is a placeholder, and we use it as a placeholder for, let's say, inside the zero is life and earth. Outside of it is anything we outside of life that we cannot know. And inside that zero is a one. Let's turn it horizontally because I don't want it to look like a, a, a reptile eye. <laughs> then we have placed ourselves within the boundaries of reality. What are the boundaries of reality? Kids who know the boundaries of the playground they're at play better or more relaxed. What are our boundaries? The truth of human life is that we're all live together right now. There is no Gen Z, boomer generation. There is no millennial generation. There is only the living generation, the one that's alive. So, we've all had different experiences in life. We all come from different backgrounds. We all have different hordes of something we're hanging on to. Everybody's got a closet with weird left socks or drawers full of empty pill bottles. And some people with boogers under the table. I'm just saying. Probably be better with gum. I'm just saying. <laughs> Ew, but better than a booger. Okay, back to <laughs> this is the deal. Love laughs. 
love is absolutely expressed in joy. And the truth is, what ties this all together, something that we can all imagine almost the same, is a platform from which we can communicate with each other, have understanding. We have to have a shared understanding. Or in the end, if we can't communicate, we don't generate understanding. We go, oh, it's because he's from that, that country uh, overseas. Uh, I think it was Michigan. <laughs> Uh, we can't separate each ourselves anymore. We, we know too much. We can't pretend we don't have the access that we have. We can't solve an argument by winning because we're the one without the bullet in our head. Or that because our guy's got a bigger bank account. If money's the root of all evil, who are you rooting for there, buddy? Oh, hey, Sabrina, that's my partner. So, this is what I propose, is that the truth is, is we are bound within what we can know. Birth, which is all of human history. Actual birth has been the start. And love has to have been with us from then until we die, which is not a guy in skull clothes. Everyone has their subjective experience. You can have your subjective experience. You have freedom when you know what the context of your reality is. You acknowledge it. Otherwise, it's like, I don't know. It could be different tomorrow. <laughs> Tomorrow I can wake up and, and I'm a I'm a fly on the back of a warty frog. What's the one day that never ends and why? It's tomorrow. Tomorrow you never are gonna wake up and go, oh it's tomorrow. Ugh. Dang. Thought it'd never get here. The only thing that exists eternally is now, the present. I'm looking around, and the, the road is wide. It's not empty. It's got all these people standing there, bumping into each other, eyes wide open, not seeing. People don't want to be given the truth. The truth is, we are responsible for our own actions. We have no guarantees. You could be born, grabbed by the ankle, and your head smashed against a brick. The only thing that makes the decency we see is us. The only evil I've seen in the world is us. The only thing worth knowing outside of being ready for our own deaths is I like to know the story of others. Well, how about that? That we really are connected to each other, one to another. That the greatest benefit we could ever gain in the long run is 
accepting ourselves that give up saving the world. Because right now I'm talking to myself, I'm saving myself, putting the oxygen on my own face so I don't pass out trying to save others. Because that's the only thing worth a damn. Because if we're all one body, how can we war? How is there a different denomination? Can the, can my left finger like beat up my freaking uh, right toe? You know what? I'm a better Adrian than you, big toe. You are a fathead in state. And, and I get to pick his nose. You don't get to pick his nose. That's an honor, right? We are one body. Yeah, but his skin color is different than mine. This is what I would ask you. When you look around, who benefits from us not seeing each other clearly? In the end of things, how do two to four hundred people keep eight billion people in line? Why is the world so crazy? What is United Nations? The nations part nullifies the United. The states part nullifies the United. The Make America Great Again nullifies the world. The my religion is better than your religion nullifies ourselves. The MI I accept my mortality. I choose to do my best regardless of punishment or reward. The rabbi demonstrated first, I think of him as the firstborn, demonstrated that there is no intermediary necessary between me and my knowledge and experience of my love, of unconditional love, that I can be unconditional with myself and accept myself so that I can see the reflection of myself clearly. Because if a tree falls in the woods and no one is there to hear it, does it make a sound? It's irrelevant. What it teaches you, the question is that to consider something happening without a human is a waste of time and energy. Because if there are no humans there, it doesn't matter what's happening. We couldn't possibly conceive of what's happening without us. Can you be a tree? I certainly can't be a squirrel. <laughs> I've tried to be but I'm not Donald Duck. Over oh, goofy, you sound like goofy out there. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah, look, I, I drove too many adults crazy for way too many years not to liberally use my cartoon voices. <laughs> that my urge to go and save people like a shiny knight like I tried to help my mom and dad when they were arguing. I tried to use that to validate that the more I saved, 
the more deserving I was. And what I found is the more I did for others, somehow, the more vile I was perceived. That when I said, hell with that, I'm going to do it for myself because I enjoy it because I'm curious and it brings me some opportunity for contentment. That is when, that is when I drew people would like show up in my path that had similar interests as if they were drawn to me. That it aligned, that I was not busy trying to plot every second of my life based on every failure, replot it, you know, that I was no longer busy trying to just have blind faith and obey. In, in the religion of no agency, the religion of accepting human sacrifice as a valid theological concept that doesn't even fit that the message was always the thing that was important. That was what was amazing. That this guy in the Middle East one day who was picked on likely by kids, ostracized a bit by his big brothers and sisters who thought he was weird, asking way too many questions, always disappearing, left his parents at the, uh, in Jerusalem for three days, you find him at the temple. He's like, what are you all worried about? Imagine how worried you would be. You're just here asking, if my kid disappeared and I found him three days later at St. John's Hospital, like in the doctor's like, how does he know neurosurgery? I'd be like, I'd be thinking about more important things. I'm more interested in like, how does he not think about his parents? <laughs> it was probably that weird guy, you know, the one you just thought of. That's when, that's when I knew my guy. I, I knew my brother from humanity. I get where he came from. One day he was like, I don't want to make any more crosses or ladders or toilet seats. I'm going into the desert. I'm going to have truth or else. That he did see the pattern. That he thought a lot. He freaks some people out. He was in a, he's in a, like, teaching. And he goes, you're not going to be able to figure out love unless you come through me. You know, you got to eat my flesh and drink my bones and crush them up in the face. Essentially, and everybody goes, this is a hard teaching. You want to just eat him? Is he being, is this like sexual or is it physical? What's going on here? It's too much. I'm leaving. And he turns to the disciples, are you going to leave me too? Because he would say things people didn't get. I say things people don't get. I think it's pretty simple. It's zero or one. Be in your context. Keep it simple. Every time you try and complicate it, go, oh, I'm complicating it. Hold on, let me get back here. Not even God can die my death for me. I have to die my death. <laughs> and that makes me priceless, unique, of value, inherently. 
You don't have to ask anything into you, like some spiritual, religious, holy possession. It was already in you. There is no enlightenment. There's only acceptance. And in accepting, you will find that you get the desires of your heart. Because you're accepting your heart. And you'll be surprised at the things that evaporate as desires and wants or needs. And, and what the desires of your heart truly are. And love above all. The greatest of these is love. But without truth, you have no agency to see any of it. You have truth. People want to feel like they discovered it. Truth is understanding your context subjectively and not ignoring the fact that you are part of a collective inherently. That when we beat our children, when we war with one another, we are admitting we don't want to put the time or the energy into actually trying to understand. That we ate that apple, which, by the way, love would never go, okay, here's this whole thing here, but see that one right there? That one with a real bright red fruit? Yeah, yeah, you can't go near that or touch it, okay? Why? Yeah, I can't tell you why, just don't do it, okay? Out of everything, you just can't have that one. And then when they do it, who have never sinned before, goes from, who, who, like the first time your kid, like, committed to sin, you were like, sorry, son, I have to send you to San Quentin. But don't worry, Johnny Cash went there. I hope you uh, pick up the guitar. <laughs> My dad named me Sue. <laughs> no, you wouldn't do that. It's a metaphor. Metaphor for having knowledge without understanding. Just admit where you are in your context. As a 49-year-old, 14-year-old, there's a lot of kids running around, physically adult, trying to adult, afraid to admit that they are just trying to adult. Why don't we be of benefit to each other? Why don't we love each other by loving ourselves? I can't save the world, but I can't accept myself. I tell you what. There's so few people accepting themselves that every single one is saves the world. And yes, everyone gets excited and they want to be validated. But persatellizing, that's not love. Love accepts. Love lives their lives in the present and they love themselves they find joy everywhere that they can there is no personal business life there's just life and they see clearly what's going on around them and 
the structure of the, of the natural world is such that like water on an unlevel, unlevel playing field or unlevel ground, we will flow towards the lowest point. You got three scenarios. The one that's simplest, that's the one that's likeliest. Patterns in nature are meant to instruct us. Patterns in behavior are meant to instruct us. In the, in the, in the process of how we should be. I am becomes, comes from am I. If I'm not faking it till I make it, I'll draw another fully realized human I am and we'll go, are we? And if we are, we are. And the collective standing subconscious intention out there is, are we? And we have intended to wake. But our conscious minds, they are impatient. Think you're a pet dog. That's your waking mind. Right? <laughs> Scooby snack. I'm the one in charge, right? <laughs> Subconscious mind, night auditor, pattern matcher, problem solver. That's your pet cat. And it's in charge. <laughs> How do you know? Because you freeze when it goes to claw you. you slowly extract when it relaxes its claws. And you give the, that cat whatever freaking food it asks for. Whatever will shut it up. But it can only communicate in abstraction, the dreams. We can experience powerful dreams, experiences subjectively. But if it cannot be proven collectively, with two or more, if it cannot be proven, then it's not love. Now here's the kicker. And how I hook you, now I'm hooking myself in. This is true and working on the demonstration of it Love is quantifiable. Filial love, brotherly love, through our six degrees separation, connection to each other, is demonstrable in the blockchain by marking and encouraging, not by distribution of cash or value, but by distribution of tokens and openness and transparency, no secret meetings, these engagements, these agreements we have with each other, these transactions up in the blockchain for the world to see. It's the holistic uniform gratitude system. It's all free. I'm not making a pitch. What I do, I do not transact or monetize my joy. Yeah, I wanted to stay my joy. I just, it's the right thing to do, right? Live smart, not hard, please. <laughs> And I need y'all to do that. <laughs> uh, and the anthropocentric gauge and potential evaluator, it's a filter, a logic filter, where if you submit a social engagement and it benefits you demonstrably and the other person and six other or four others, that's six people, to at least 80% benefit and no more than 19% and uh, non-benefit, and it meets that metric, you get a token. You submit to the same category again, it's increased the metric by 
That way, you know, it's not constantly and forever low-hanging fruit for you. That way, you we can have an accountability roster of reputation. You have to complete the agreement. More on that later. The important thing is that you have truth. And then you know fully the choice between love and fear. Two sides of the same magnet. What kind of electromagnet power are you going to be generating as you spin around that magnet? It's not two sides of the same coin. That implies one side wins and the other side is not necessary. A magnet is not a magnet without both sides. A hierarchical fear-based strategy is as valid as a indomitable loving one, but all history, fear-based strategy. Hadn't worked. They always collapse. Let's try something that benefits us. What'd you say? Okay. Now we're going to leave about, oh, I don't know, 30 seconds for somebody to call up and go, I believe. I don't want your belief. I want you to, I want you to just prove every single thing I say, and it has to be stated in a well-stated premise and sourced with three reputable different vetted sources. And if your premise has more logical validity than mine, okay, let's look at it. It's not personal. It's not me or you. It's not our personalities. What's loving is being of more benefit. Let's live smart. I don't need to argue and like, is my arguments going to win? Go buy out the judge. Oh, man. Why is logic so awesome? Because it takes ego out of it. Because we can make errors. But love is quantifiable, testable, observable. You make predictions off of it. Guess what else? Love means... Love being quantifiable means... Any loving concept of a deity is knowable as well. Why? By the concept of love. Why? Because we've always worshipped what we don't understand. Why? Because once we figured out what we didn't understand, we stopped worshipping it and moved it to something we didn't understand. Why? Because it went from trees and birds and animals to many God, to, you know, group dynamics to uh, one angry dude to uh, a female one to all kinds of different uh, to, and where is it now who do we not understand the most even though we really do understand we project our misunderstanding our fear about ourselves not being worthy or being an accident onto others and others end up paying the price of our projecting fears onto others. That's it. Okay, almost it. The last sermon, uh, 
reported by Arrhenius, uh, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, John, the disciple he loved the best. And uh, they carried him out in a stretcher, put him in the middle of the forum. He looked at it, everybody was like, <sighs> I felt really tired. He's like, okay, look, look, y'all, it's just all about love. I'm paraphrasing. It's all you need to know. It's all about love. That's it. And then he expired. And up from his body, this, his spirit rose with hurly wings. Be kind to yourselves. Love yourselves. And, uh, who knows? Maybe I'll pilgrim across your path. And don't just hug anybody. And by the way, just a quick note, just because I, I got, like, yeah, because there's 66 people here. Not wearing a mask, I get trying to, like, they can't control me, but it's not any, it's not a very bad thing to do just to, for others to feel safe. We shouldn't corner anybody into thinking that our belief is more valuable than another person's life. That bespeaks, I mean, you might as well have your gun out and shooting at them. That's not love. All right, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, 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 hey. Sorry, that's my voices. I love voices. Uh, get out of here. If you got any questions, send me questions. Any guests can join in time. I guess I could have asked it, said, or whatever. <laughs> I'll later. Are you sure? Are you sure you want to end your talk? No, I'm not sure. I'm just, feels like I should. We could all sit here together. <laughs> uh, let's go. Thank you. Thank you. Okay.